This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rana McBerto. Will is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. I came. I had a little bit of problems getting everything up because I was processing that last, last, last video that I wanted to do. I did about five videos, but we're only going to be able to do three. The interview that I did with Tom uh, Bauman and also the uh, two, two particular stories that I... Actually, it looks like I'm doing three videos, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how many we get to. Anyhow, welcome aboard, folks. Great to see everybody here today. Let's go ahead and start saluting my peeps, my peeps. Jean Van Astel, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome aboard, AVQ. Restream, I started it a little bit late, so if you put something in there, you may have to put it in again because, again, I was about two minutes late on getting the Restreamer up. Bridge MCP, hey, y'all. Paul Fleming, ATL checking in. You're on time, Paul. Welcome aboard. Uh, let's see who else we got here. Bridge MCP, como estas mi mujer? Welcome aboard. Hello from Long Beach, May Wood. And thank you for that birthday, uh, birthday wish, May. Thank you very much. Thank you so kindly for wishing me a happy birthday. Uh, Van, let's see, Julie Van Assel, welcome. Yvette Avery Herod, or Union Specialist, welcome aboard. Eric Hayes, hi all. We might need to figure out. Our chip problems. We got a serious chip problems, and a chip problem didn't start four months ago. A chip problem didn't start six months ago. A chip problem didn't start a year ago. A chip program didn't start two years ago. The chip problem is a problem with private sector wanting to keep all profits for a few. I love when these problems come up, how suddenly they want to blame Oh, the government created problems. The chip sector's problem is a direct responsibility of the chip sector. The private industry wanting to maximize the profits of their of whatever it is that they're doing. They don't want to invest in the factories in the United States because they have to pay a higher salary than the slave labor across the world. So they don't. And we get a we we get a transportation hinge that cre- that was created by the virus. We get a whole lot of backlogs and suddenly we can't do things because we are not building anything in the United States. Whose fault is that again? Private sector. They're the ones who... How do you define capitalism again? The efficient allocation of resources. Of course, it's always been a lie. Capitalism doesn't really efficiently allocate resources. It It efficiently transfers money from the masses to the few. And anytime we see these shortages, anytime we see the private sector beg the government for help, oh my God, we need help now. Could you keep the waters open so that we can have our shifts going? Okay, the government will build a big military so we can blow up anything that will affect you. Oh my God, we are trying to exploit those people in South America and now they're trying to get us. Okay. We'll send our military paid for by the United States government to protect the few of you who have been exploiting people. You see, the private sector, the fallacy that we have been taught from the inception of our education is that somehow, somehow the market takes care of everything. The market doesn't take care of a damn thing. The market takes care of those who control the market. 
the wealthy. And the wealthy takes as much as they can and continue making. They have no foresight. They have no heart. They have no morality. They have none of that. You know who gives, you know what gives capitalism, morality, heart, and soul? Government. And you know why government gives them that heart and that soul? Because government is we the people. We the people. And I always say we are good. But they have to teach you that the economic system of the few is somehow better for you in as much as you see otherwise. Bruce Pollard, Bruce and Susan listening on the way to Dallas. My dear brother and sister Bruce, by the way, I... I I am supposed to do this on air in at KPFT, but since I have you in the car, Susanna, thank you so kindly for your support at KPFT ninety point one FM. Thank you so kindly. You are you the the Pollard family are wonderful supporters of KPFT politics done right and all the good things that put good information out to people. My brothers and my sister, my brother and my sister Bruce and Susan, Julie Van Asdel says. Just wanted I ask everyone to pray for the family of the third child to be struck by a stray bullet in North Minneapolis. She passed yesterday. She was six years. Two others are fighting for their lives. Oh, Julie, thanks for telling us that. Um, wow. That's hurt. That's hurtful. Um, yeah, thank you, Julie. Folks, stop using those damn guns. Guns kill people. That thing when they say, oh, people kill people. No, if guns are there, people are use them. Paul Fleming, ATL, checking in. Welcome aboard. Bridge MCP, welcome aboard. AVQ. Uh, Deborah John, Republicans, Democrats passes a bipartisan Asian hate crime bill. No study, but in a year time, they found ways to quickly introduce this bill and pass, not only morally, but financially. Where is the 500-plus year of hate crimes on slavery, mistreatment against blacks, OUC? That's a long story uh, that I want to go through with reparations and all of that. I don't want to take care of it today, Deborah, but we do need to be in, in, in alliance with our Asian brothers and sisters that are going through hell right now, just like uh, many a times they have been on the side of all those others. I mean, look, it's a complicated world, and we have all these isms around, but you know, let's let's rejoice on that bill being passed. There's a lot of work need to be done on reparation, slavery, etc. Hey says actually it could be something the administration could help, and they help all they can help the manufacturing. Yeah, but I thought the private sector was supposed to do that. Uh, if Republicans believe in 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 a free market, why is a problem for us to pay for the manufacturing of chips when only a few will profit? Thank you, Paul. You know, I see all of us learn together about those issues. Thank you, Paul. Eric says there is a fallacy here, except the government regulations. Regulations is what protects you. Regulations is why you can go in your car and not die. Read. You haven't even looked at it. I know, but you know what? You're right, Eric. I haven't looked at the particular article. You're right. Thank you for calling me out on that. But I do want to say that I, I, am, I'm, I, am, I am assuming certain things about the article. Sometimes they say assume makes an ass out of you and me. So, exactly. Every, every, Evet, uh, Avery, yes, we have to pray for those kids who were shot in Minneapolis. Maywood says, well, most of the problems with chip production in this country has more to do with supply chain, the raw materials, and other various. Yeah, we are having issues with, in fact, even with the the... The material, what, what kind of materials do we call these rare earth materials? We actually, here in our deserts, we did have some lithium, etc., that we're digging up right now. But right now, 
Uh, China is doing a very smart move. China is investing all over South America, Africa, and anywhere making good. I mean, we know why, why they're doing it, but they're doing it. And we, doing all kinds of crazy things, we don't invest in the future. We don't invest in the people that we're going to depend on in the new economy. Uh, Ed Naponen, no, Ed Naponen. Hi, great show and analysis as always. Thank you so kindly for your kind words, sir. Uh, Eric Hayes says prayers for the kids as well. Thank you, Eric, for, for that. All right, folks, I'm going to get into the show because this is a good interview that I want to do. Uh, you guys are going to love Tom Bowman talking about the environment, and then we'll move on to get busy with some other issues and other videos. I just want to get Tom Bowman's uh, video out there because it is a, it was a wonderful interview. I enjoyed uh, talking to Tom uh, he has a new book out, and I think uh, folks are going to want to uh, check him out. I don't. While I play the interview, I'll go look up the other information and put it into the blog as well because, like I said, I was really under time right here. But here is the interview, my peeps. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Ryan McBerto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We have a very special guest for us with us today, Tom Bowman president of Bowman Change, Inc., and author of What If Solving the Climate Crisis is Simple, and co-author of Empowering Climate Action in the United States. Tom Bowman has never bought the idea that some problems are too complex to solve. With razor-thin-like precision, he slices through the Gordian knot of this dispirit and misperceptions that lead to a sense of defeat when it comes to the climate crisis. The result is an inspiring and practical narrative that will leave readers feeling uplifted and empowered to create a future they are eager to embrace. Welcome to Politics Done Right, Tom. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Amber. Well, look, first of all, let me ask you this. It's a stupid question, but it's the first one I've got to ask. Why did you write the book? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. It's not stupid at all. I've been thinking about a book like this for a long, long time because I've been working for the last, oh, 10 or 15 years, no, actually about almost 20 years on communication about the climate crisis uh, and science communication. And I've always been flummoxed by the fact that I took action to decarbonize my business. I feel empowered to work on it. I see other people who do. But the surveys all show that the vast majority of people feel dispirited. They sit on the sidelines. They don't think they have a role to play. And so I've studied that. And, and the opportunity came up last year with Changemakers Books to, to write a book very quickly. And it was, a, it was a great way to sort of gel all this thinking and work I'd been doing for quite a long time. Let me tell you what I love about your book, first of all. Mm -hmm. It's not very long. It's That's the right. Point. You don't fill it with a whole lot of fluff. You know, That's I write books as well. And, um, you know, at, at 200 pages or so, uh, which is about what I need to tell my ent the entire stories that I normally tell, that's about all you need. But, you know, somehow we're getting these books that are just so, you know, so, big. Right. so I appreciate that. And you've used every word to tell a story. Now, um, before we get specifically into your book, um, you said you feel that people are dispirited about the climate. Uh, don't you think this has a lot to do with the different forces that are making them dispirited? In other words, forces that don't feel uh, climate change, or that, that, that what is required to uh, mitigate climate changes in their interests. So instead, what they do is they just pollute people's minds. Your thoughts? They do. They do. There's a very active campaign that's been going on for a very long time, led by 
ideological libertarians and the fossil fuel industry to keep people from taking action. And, the, and so they question the science, they question uh, governance. They say that if we solve the climate crisis, government will intrude in our lives and ruin our freedoms and take them away, um, that our economy will crash. None of those things has to be true, um, but it's an intentional campaign to protect their own financial interests. You know, sadly, uh, you said none of those things have to be true. They could be true, but it's also gonna be true that if we do absolutely nothing, that what we know as America today, its coastlines, its uh, the peace in the uh, the peace and the weather and all of that will be no more. So I mean, uh, uh, we don't have a choice but to change either way that we go. Correct? That's absolutely right, and we're feeling the effects today. I live in California, where the wildfires have been unlike; they've been unreal. I've never seen anything like this in in all the time I've lived and grew up in California. The air is choking every year, you know, um, and whole communities are being burned to the ground. There's there's intense storms in the Midwest and floods that are hundred year floods happening every few years. Um, so yes, exactly. We're already into it, and the question is, how far are we going to allow it to go? Yeah, it's amazing because a, a lot of people think we have to burn everything that we have in the ground, not realizing that in the primordial years when those things were being formed we had different different organisms on the planet that mm. had different requirements that could ha that could absorb that sort of energy but guess what they died out and that's, that's the remnants of their deaths you know yeah and you think about the fossil fuels in the ground have have accumulated over millions and millions, tens, hundreds of millions of years. And the idea that we would burn them all up in just a few generations and they never exist again or wouldn't exist for hundreds of millions of years more, that just seems crazy to me. And unnecessary, right? Absolutely unnecessary. Did you know, I mean, today, I don't know when the podcast will go live, but to, tonight, Ford is apparently going to release it's F-150. Yes. That's a game changer. That's the most popular vehicle in America by a mile. And if that comes out electric and it's better than the gasoline-powered car, look out, because that means there's going to be a lot of hunger for it. Well, you know, Rachel Maddow did a, a great piece on it yesterday. And one of the most important parts that I think she did that, that, that gives a lot of credence to electric cars is the ability to control torque. And the yeah. reason I'm saying that, I don't know if you're an engineer or not, I'm an engineer by training, and I understand those concepts. And it was amazing watching that truck pull uh, several trains, yes. right? Yes. And like something that a geared truck really wouldn't be easy, could, was, wouldn't easily do. And um, I think when those kind of folk who like pickup trucks see that, they'll see that environmental uh, being environmentally friendly does not mean, need, mean you have to compromise anything else. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, the role of the business or the entrepreneur is to create green products that people actually like better than the products that came before. And, you know, um, Teslas are amazing cars. Uh, yeah. The Sun Leaf is a fun little car as far as it goes. Uh, the other electric cars are fun. But a truck is practical. I mean, there are things you can do in a truck that you can't do in a sedan. And uh, and so to see a pickup truck that's hugely popular go electric is going to, you know, depending on what they've come up with, is has the potential to be a real change maker. 
of course, that means that uh, we have to get that infrastructure throughout the country with the 500,000 or so charging, charging stations around the country to ensure that those folks who make the leap and buy those cars, they do just fine. Yeah, that's right. And for a lot of people, I mean, most people would put a charger in at home unless right. you live in a, in a condo complex or an apartment building where you don't have control over that. But uh, if you do have you know, control and you can put a charger in at your home, you just charge it up at night and it's ready to go the next day. Right. You've got to drive an awful long way before you need to recharge. Most people aren't driving two or 300 miles a day. You do it on long trips and you need the capacity to charge up a bit. But, uh, but for daily driving, charging it overnight is easy. Right, right. And, and probably not all that expensive as, as well, given the economy of these uh, new devices that are coming out. Yeah, that's right. They're cheap. It's, electricity costs a lot less than gasoline. And it doesn't spike. It doesn't go up right. and down and up and down. And you never have to stop at a gas station. And then, of course, uh, with, with a lot of people that get that, they're probably going to have solar cells on their homes, et cetera. Mm -hmm to sort mm -hmm. of mitigate it. Okay, um, are we too late from your book? Are we too late <laughs> Yeah. to solve that... the crisis? Uh, first of all, we're talking uh, about the book uh, titled, What If Solving the Climate Crisis is Simple? And you know, um, I'm gonna tell you, Tom, I've always thought that it was simple if we wanted to make it so. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the, the objections come to those who are vested in the old technologies and don't and see that move to be a bit more expensive than they would like to make. So is it too late? Yeah, that's such a great question. And the, I think the answer resoundingly is no. We're on, a, we're on a trajectory, right? We've changed the climate some already. We can't go backward unless we invest super heavily in, in technologies to pull carbon out of the air. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that may become attractive in the future. You know, it's in development now as technology, but we can choose how far we let this advance. And, and we've been taught, most of us, about climate change by scientists. And scientists study complicated things, complex systems. Uh, the climate system is really complex. And so we've been taught to think that it's really complex and we've been taught to think that the responses to it have to be really complex, but that's just an interpretation. That's just a, a way of looking at it. And if we set that aside for a minute, we discover that really all we have to do is stop burning fossil fuels and do it very quickly. And when you think about that, it makes the, it makes the climate crisis accessible to everyone, to every business, to every household, to every person, uh, to every local government, and that's a lot easier to deal with than a, than what looks like it's a huge global problem. You know what is interesting, Tom? Um, and as as bad as this pandemic was, where we lost hundreds of thousands of Americans and millions of people around the world, what I think this showed us, however, with the decline in usage of gasoline and fossil fuels, we didn't die. That's we right. weren't superbly uncomfortable. Uh, the economy was a lot uh, was a lot less, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we consumed a lot less. That's so right. We all and 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 still, most Americans got a bit fatter. Yes, so, they did. <laughs> uh, so the truth of the matter is, the pandemic, as bad as it was, and, and I love your thoughts on this, seemed to prove that we could have massive reduction in fossil fuels use of fossil fuels 
without having a, a, a devastating effect on our personal economies, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We've been taught to think that society can only change very, very slowly and very, very incrementally. But last March, a year ago, the world suddenly stayed home mm -hmm. everywhere, worldwide. And it all happened in about three or four days. You know, when the when the World Health Organization said this is a pandemic, it's really dangerous. Everybody stayed home. And what happened? The streets got quiet. The sky cleared up. The air got fresher over major cities. We were all living in fear. But but if you took the time to notice, our world became a more pleasant place and people were finding ways to connect. You know, there's this great video from Italy of of you see these wine glasses attached to long sticks and they're clinking. And as the camera zooms out, you realize these people are on their balconies across this narrow street from one another, having a happy hour together in their isolated pods in their apartments, right? But they're finding ways to connect with their friends and neighbors. And now we've discovered most people who've worked at home don't wanna to have to commute and go back to a corporate office. Um, they'd rather work at home and they can be productive at home. This could change the world in big ways and it happened in a heartbeat. You know, it's amazing because I told, when this started to occur, I did a few of my programs, my shows, and I said, you know, this is gonna change how we work forever. And amazingly, companies like Woolworks, they are sort of concerned because it doesn't fit their business model. And right. they're now trying to shame people back from working at home to going back to the office. Notice I said working, I didn't say slobbing at home, Right, that's They're right. Working at home because it affects their bottom line. So there again, once again, we see where companies are, they're not looking at the better, what's best for us all or for the environment. Right. Just for I, their own personal <laughs> bottom line. You know, I've been a business owner myself for about 30 years, small business. And, and you have to, you have financial obligations you have to meet. But if you own a business, you're in the, you're, primary business no matter what you do is adaptation you're changing the markets are changing the rules are changing yes the are changing you're always thinking how do i remain viable in this new environment i'm in exactly that's every day so uh, yes there are there are ups and downs you win some you lose some in business and that's not fun you know, for anybody, we need to create a soft landing for people as best we can and create new opportunities. But but that's happening all around us. New opportunities are emerging and we shouldn't be afraid of that. And, you know, uh, one of the, the benefits of that, again, is we get a profit and that's that's the whole rationale. We take the risk and we get a profit. Those of us who do these business things. Now, what do you mean by hang the climate crisis upside down? Yeah. So I described earlier this Gordian knot of complex systems that that is the climate. You know, it's the atmosphere and the oceans and the polar ice caps and the way and the biosphere and the way plants and animals interact with atmospheric chemistry and all of this complicated stuff. And then we've been taught that when you when you want to solve a piece of the climate puzzle, that we've been talking about electric cars and transportation, you start pulling on that and now you're pulling on technology and supply chains and international finance. And those things affect food supply and energy generation and and geopolitics. And all of a sudden you feel like you're pulling on you started with one thread and you're pulling on this enormous knot that you can't figure out how to untie. 
that's what it feels like to most people. I, I was an art student in college and I was working on a painting one day that I just couldn't make work. You know, I, I tried changing colors. I tried shifting the composition. It was just a, a it just wasn't working. And my teacher came up behind me and he said, I tell you what you do, hang it upside down and go home. Because when you see it tomorrow, upside down, you're going to see what's wrong with it because you'll see it completely differently. Right. right. And as a design office owner, I literally did that many times. And that's how you figured out which designs were working and which ones to throw away. But it also applies to other kinds of issues. In other words, if you're stuck, if you can't figure out how to solve a problem, ask yourself, is there an assumption that I've made that's part of every solution I've tried? Is it a, a technical requirement that somebody gave me? Is it an assumption I'm making about how things work? Um, what is the one thing that's consistent in all, of your, in all of your attempts to solve it? When you find it, the bigger it is, the better. The more sacrosanct it is, the better. Set it aside and see what happens. In my experience, what happens is you suddenly discover all kinds of new ways to think about it, new opportunities. And you and expand the horizons. Exactly. And, and it, so it disrupts this familiar pattern of thinking that keeps us stuck. And the assumption that we make that's most troublesome, I think, on climate is that it's too complex for you and me, right? Only technical elites somewhere, somewhere in the world are going to come up with a master plan for the globe and everybody's going to buy into it magically and we're going to solve the climate crisis. And we all know it doesn't work that way. Right. But if we set that aside and we say, what's left? Well, all we have to do is stop burning fossil fuels and we need to do it quickly because we don't want this to continue and, and we don't want to fail. So there's a slogan in the book, right? Stop burning fossil fuels well before mid-century and absolutely positively do not fail. When, when that becomes your mantra, you start looking at everything you do in your workplace and in your home life a little differently. And I know this from experience because I did this with my small business, you know, it was a 2000 foot building and 12 people. We were, we got measured by the climate registry. So I had independent measurement of our carbon footprint and, and we reduced our emissions by two thirds in 15 months, saved money. And nobody could tell that our lifestyle had changed. Right. Right. But you made a difference. But, it, and it shows how much waste we take for granted in our normal way of thinking. And that when we disrupt it by hanging the picture upside down, we discover, oh, there are ways to solve this and make the world I'd really rather live in. We recently had a woman on here. I don't remember her name. Uh, she talked about waste and it was amazing how much we waste and how easy it was to mitigate that waste. So, I mean, just doing little things that all of us could do from Ziploc bags to other things, you know. Uh, and I'll tell you a little story that, that, that reveals how dumb we can all be, how stupid I was. Um, our business was to design exhibits for museums and trade shows, things like that. And, and we didn't build them. We had exhibit builders uh, who were located about 60 miles from our office in Southern California. So people had to commute through Los Angeles traffic to get to work. And then you drive to the, to the meeting when you had to have a meeting at the shop. And then you drive back 60 miles to the office and then tired, frustrated, stressed. You still had your deadlines to meet. You'd stay late and you'd go home late. And we lived with this for years. 
we just thought it was the way business worked because mm-hmm. what everybody did. Well, two of my employees moved all the way to Palm Springs and had to commute all the way to Long Beach. That's a, over 100 miles through rush hour traffic every single day. At least they carpooled. But we lived with this for a couple of years. And when we decided to decarbonize, it made me look at that situation differently and say, holy cow, that's a lot of pollution, right? And so we tried an experiment. You two guys who live in Palm Springs, you can only come to work once a week and you work at home the rest of the time. And if anybody needs to meet with a shop, schedule it so it's the first thing in your day or the last thing in your day. So you do it on the way to work or on the way home. And it took about a month for people to adjust to a new style. And then I saw the spirits in the office get lighter. People were happier. They weren't so mm-hmm. tired. They, were, they got to go home on time. They weren't so stressed, right? And this is what we had always wanted, but we'd never gone looking for the thing that was holding us up, right? We're all doing this with carbon every day and with waste every day. And all, our, all most of us have to do is turn the picture upside down so we start to see that stuff and say, holy cow, I can eliminate that waste. You know, Tom, we could we could go through all these things that I think enlighten quite a few people for for hours. Unfortunately, we only have 30 minutes. So there's a couple of chapters I want to discuss with you. And and this one kind of the name, I, I think you were trying to be a little bit. What's the word that I want to say? You wanted to put a little sting here. You said um, climate justice and a white male. Mm-hmm. Explain yourself. Yeah. Last year was the was the year that. Americans everywhere just saw just how how violent and and unstable the lives of African Americans people of color are in the United States. We've always heard from climate scientists that that low income communities and people of color suffer the most and have the fewest resources right and we know that there is structural racism in our society. But we saw it with the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others it just it, it came home to everybody. And one of the things I heard people saying is, you white people need to start having your own conversations about race. Um, and I'm a white male, right? I, I, I benefit from all the privileges of being white, well-educated and male. And so I wanted to write a chapter that starts to confront that question. And in, in its, it's, um, it's, I don't present the answers. I don't, it, I would say it's a little clunky, you know? I mean, how can we not be clunky when we stumble into this? Um, because in our own lives, as, as white males, whoever, however we're situated, we learn to accept cultural racism as we progress through school and into our careers. And, uh, and we understand the reward system that we have to play by in order to be successful. And that, that is a very biased system. And so we find ourselves in this situation and we don't want to be here and we don't know how to get out of it. And, and I've been really, really fortunate in the last year to work on this Action for Climate Empowerment project with a diverse group of people in relationship with, with indigenous leaders, people of color from Puerto Rico and the United States, um, members of the historically black colleges and universities, and to begin to have the experience of relationship that allows that allows a person who's uncomfortable about racism and is a white person start to be in genuine relationships with people that can make a difference. And that's, I think, what a lot, a lot of people need to do. Um, so 
I, I was trying to sort of um, uh, just be vulnerable and honest and say, hey, look, I'm no better than anybody else. I grew up in this world and I've unconsciously adopted all of the problems. How, how do we get beyond this together? Well, you know, I was I, when I saw the chapter at first, I kind of giggled, and then I said, "Let me let me read bits and pieces of this thing." And I like—I mean, first of all, it, it, it's good that in the chapter you were able to express that there is, in fact, systemic racism and environmental. Uh, the environmental impact also plays a big role in there. I mean, cities are uh, places where uh, people of color live in general because of the way it's structured. It's hotter and suffer more climate damage than, than places that are more wealthy, which more wealthy generally defines more white. And I, I was glad to see that you had the, that you were able to stitch that into the book, because I think over, the overbearing um, statements of racism all of the times is better catered in a fashion that people can, you know, can actually see with the, the lives. So I think you did a great job of that. But, you know, my question to you is, um, how long have you realized of, uh, oh, first of all, I, I, there's a thought, Grogan, the podcast Grogan, I don't know if you, you know who he is or, or not. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a, he got in a bit of trouble because his statement was, because of the wokeness of society today, uh, soon white men just have to shut up. And I just read that this morning, and I hadn't planned on asking you this, but since you had that chapter, I said, what, what's your thought about that? Because I, I really like to know if that's how a lot of white men are feeling right now, that because um, everybody yeah. is now saying we want a piece of that action, if that's how white men are feeling. Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words um, for, for writing that chapter. I'll tell you that some of my white friends have said, what? Why is that chapter in there, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And this is this is reveals our starting point, right? Um, and there is a there's a degree to which um, people feel insecure with their own success or their own position, right? We're always trying to to ensure that that our social position is sound, mm -hmm. and and for an awful lot of white people, I think. Um, our, our common thought is that if we give more power to people of color, we're going to lose power ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that feels scary. And when you finally dig into this and you finally are in relationship with people who don't look like you and come from different backgrounds from you and you, and you, and you care for their welfare as much as you care for their own, they're your friends, they're your colleagues. They're, you discover that, that, you discover what they have to live with that you don't have to live with. I can tell you from my own experience, it's like, man, give these people power. <laughs> they yeah. need power. Uplift them, give them power. I don't need to hold it. Um, I, I told somebody, you know, you don't get to be the white savior when you get into relationship with people of color. The good news is you don't have to be the white savior. Right. What you is discover that, that this is really... This is a dialogue. Um, let, me, let me tell you something, Tom. Voices like yours are necessary, especially as a white man, okay? Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that, that you, you, you are, you're more out there, more in, in people's spaces to, to, to promote that kind of a messaging because I think it is so important. Uh, I, the, the, the good thing about it is this. Um, those who have lived through the lack of privilege 
are not trying to take away privilege from anybody. Those who have had the lack of power are not trying to disempower anybody. They're just seeking to have the same level. And if that message could be conveyed to specifically the white man that, that you know, uh, yeah. you need not fear that what some, and it's interesting because it's a minor amount of, I mean, that's just how power works. It's, it's not a race thing. It's a, it, I mean, and, and, and I get in trouble a lot of, for saying this, but once we, if you really believe that race is a social construct, mm -hmm. you have to understand what racism is then. And then you look at pigmentation and physical characteristics and all of that quite a bit differently. Yeah. And I'm at the stage in life where that's, I've, I only look at race as a social construct. So I have no fears about any of it. So I hope men like you, white men like you, in, in, in the messaging that you have with your environmentalism and all the great books that you write, that you're, you're able to cater it as you have in your book here. I, I just found it fascinating. Just like your white friends asked you, why did you have that chapter in there? I look at you and I said, you're a smart man to weave that <laughs> chapter in there. Well, thank you. It's the beginning of a, of a conversation. That it, it's my throwing a stone in the water as a beginning of a conversation. Um, you have to learn to listen. You know, you have to stop. We have to stop assuming we have the answers. And we, we work hard to become experts in our lives, in our careers, and in various ways. And then we think we're experts, right? We think we're the people who know. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, there are technical things I know, but that doesn't mean I know how to solve a, uh, find right. a solution in a community somewhere else or even here. It needs to be created together. Um, and when you finally are willing to let go of that, and, it, and it's disruptive, it, it's a little uncomfortable at first, but if you'll take the step, then you just discover how much goodwill and capacity and, and opportunity there is to create the world we really have really always really wanted want. to. Let me yeah. tell you, Tom, um, it's been actually a very a pleasure speaking to you. Um, and one other thing, most people are good. I mean, everybody, most people say. are good. I Look, uh, we've been speaking to Tom Bauman, president of Bauman Change Inc. and author of What If Solving the Climate Crisis is Simple. It's, I usually ask beforehand, is there something you'd like to say that I forgot to ask you? <laughs> um, if people are are really intrigued by this, I'm going to give you a website that people could, that's not my own. Uh, mine's kind of obvious, tombowman.com. There's a, there's a website called ACE, A-C-E framework.us that reports on dialogues just like this with a really diverse group of people who are seeking to make climate change in the United States in really productive ways. Tom Bowman, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. All right, folks, I hope you like that. I really, really, really enjoyed talking to Tom. Tom made my day with his book and all that good stuff. Anyhow, uh, thank you, Rudnan, for putting that uh, piece on the screen. I think you, you, you wanted me to put something up on the screen, Rudnan. Let me see what it is before I put it up. And Okay. Oh. The Keelan Kerr plants bring it down summer. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, I'll put that on the screen for our our audience to see. 
I love you. I love all you guys. You guys always give me work. Good work. There you go. The Keelan Curve, measuring atmospheric CO2 since 1956, seasonal variation. Take a look at it. Did you sketch that yourself, Redden? Anyhow, anyhow, folks, I gotta, I, I, I'm not going to get to all of the videos because I'd rather get to your, the stuff that you've written down, and we'll just do the videos tomorrow. Um, uh, if, you, if, if, you, if you just must have the videos, I'll finish blogging all of the videos with your corresponding blogs tonight. So you can, if you want to get it beforehand, you can. Hey, you guys know you run the shit here. Oh, I can't say that. I can't say that. All right, let's see. Uh, uh, Jessica Taylor, welcome aboard. Jessica says, China is buying up Africa and creating unrealistic lines of credit to people, institutions. The future will tell who were good stewards of the seeds given. Yeah, uh, uh, China, I've, been I've been preaching this word for a long time, Jessica. Uh, China under under while we are there blowing stuff up all over the world, China is there making friends in Angola, making friends in Chad, making friends in Brazil, making friends in Argentina, and all these other places. And we're just making enemies, right? With on when we're under Trump, that is. And even Panama, my country, China has investments in the, Pan the expansion of the Panama Canal, where all the super tankers can now pass through, right? They, they'd see things generations down. We see things under a capitalist structure for the next dollar for somebody real quickly without thinking about everybody else. Paul Fleming says, I grew up a, a, a time in your life where your father taught you to use your hands to defend yourself. I taught my boys who are men, but as they got older, I taught them to use force as last defense. Yeah, and in these days, I tell them to get away from using force because everybody has a gun. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, uh, let's see what else we got here. Michael Rudden says, any ideological libertarians aiming to protect a freedom to pollute? Just a reminder, one in five deaths are caused by pollution. And I'll warrant that it's probably even more than that, Brother Rudden. Uh, we're going to get off fossil fuels long before we run out of fossil fuel. There, are, there is so much that this earth has been around with organic material for for uh, millions of years. So you're absolutely right. Have, Paul Fleming said, have you seen the new electric F-150? It's easy. It's easily outworks any trick in its class, and it can be used as a backup generator when you have problems as Texans experience. Thank you for squeezing that in, Mr. Fleming, for telling us Texans that we have a lousy government who have allowed us to go without electricity and cause the deaths of scores of, of, of Texans. But you're absolutely right, sir. Julie Van Asten, oh, that's somebody else. Tom C., Representative Tim Rand, Democrat of Ohio, to solve America's urgent problem. We need two political parties in this country. They are both living in reality, and you ain't one of them. I love that. I, that I actually blogged that one. I have that one queued up to play, but I'll play it tomorrow. I know you'll want to see it tomorrow again. It's everywhere. All right, let's see. Love that truck. It's about time, says Bridge MCP. Peggy Lopez says, hi, all. Being very close to 80, I probably will not invest in another car after my 2005 gets to 300,000 miles. Chevy has its wheels fall off. Hey, I think you may be my oldest listener, Peggy Lopez. So you won the, the, you won the Mature Person Award. There you go. All right, let's see who else we got here. May Wood, easy assuming you are, have a garage to charge in it. Most people, at least around here, have to park on the streets, often blocks from home. That's why Biden's electric infrastructure building 500,000 uh, outlets to, to charge cars is so important. 
you hit the nail on the head, May. With usually, if somebody, and you know what, May, I'm gonna I'm gonna use your statement as a segue because it's something that we have to learn more of empathy. And this is not only empathy on social issues or love issues or that sort of stuff. This is empathy of infrastructure, right? I live in a home. A lot of people live in a homes, but many people also live in apartments. And if you live in New York, you may live in an apartment many stories high and you may park somewhere, you know. So we have to start looking at when we're solving problems for the entire country that we all have different ways in which we live, different ways that where we sleep, different ways... And we have to make sure that everyone is included in their aspect, in whatever aspect of life or how they live. Uh, Deborah John said, Egberto, let's be honest. If if I have anything against Asian people, but for I, I have anything against nothing against Asian people, but for decades, black people being terrorists, attacked, murdered by Asian people, black people proportionally affected by this deadly virus ten times more than other races, businesses financially, morally. Um, Deborah John. Um, we're going to have to have a conversation offline sometime. Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot that's going on, but there's a whole lot of theories that are out there that I think we need to extricate from ourselves as, you know, that we have to extricate. We'll talk about that offline. But I, 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 know, I know some of the theories that you're going from, okay? And I know some of the things that you've lived through with certain instances of people who owned abarroterias in your neighborhood, etc. We'll talk about that another time. Michael Rodney, we need to stop burning fossil fuels, shifting 100% renewables by 2030, and we need to plant hundreds of billions of trees to pull carbon that's already in the atmosphere. That is very true. And they're, they're also working on, on, on stuff that can take the carbon out of the air and put it somewhere else. But I prefer the natural way of growing a ton of plants because what you do is you put that carbon into cellulose, as opposed to trying to stick it on the ground where it eventually leaks or something like that. So I'm with you, Rudnan. I wonder if any one of you are old enough to remember run-up to World War II, where one uh, nation shifted its industrial base towards a purpose while the people understood the need to, for some sacrifice. If we are to survive another couple generations, that is what's... You know, Michael, I think, I think we should really... We really need to have enough people look at it as war. Why is it... It's always easy for us to gear up for war. We change industry big time for war. The climate change issue is a lot worse. Of an, will have a lot worse effect on us than war. I think you have something there, Mr. Rudnan. I really do. We ought to start thinking about climate as another war big time. The problem it is, is we don't. All right, let's continue. Deborah John, we don't know that. I am sure you that thousands of people died uh, uh, and many are ill with such illnesses, allergies, breathing. I don't know what you're talking about there. Um, uh, you may want to kind of help me out there a bit, Deborah. All right, let's see. Uh, you want a simple way to describe global warming? We're burning fossil fuels than we're burning more fossil fuels than natural gas can sink. The excess accumulate in our atmosphere, the natural upper limit background of atmosphere carbon dioxide in the last million years is 280 parts per million. The upper limit that climate scientists agree is safe for civilization is 350, while 400 parts per million is a red line for climate catastrophe. We are currently at 419. There, there's, a, there's an issue there, Michael. 
Because at 419, to many people in the world, 419, if you tell us that 350 is the top, 400 is danger point, and we're at 419, and to most people right now, everything is all okay. I know we've got bigger storms and all of that. That statement that you just made there, while true, means that we have some messaging to do. Because again, if you're saying we're over the max, and most people think things are fine, there is going to be a false loss of credibility. Not justified, but false loss of credibility, if you understand what I'm saying there. All right, let's see what else we got here. Um, we got... Uh, para ver, para ver, para ver. Love this guest, Egberto Courtney. Courtney, thank you very much. I, I love this guest too. We had a good time and we even had a good chat before the interview and after the interview. So I really enjoyed Tom Vauman very much. Uh, uh, let's see what else we got here. Great interview, Michael Rudnin says. Uh, we will meet the demand. Tom C says, bonus feature. The 2022 Ford F-120 Lightning is an electric pickup with an onboard generator that produces 7.2 kW of power that can power your house for days if the power goes up. A 7.2 kW isn't much. You, can't, you can put a small conditioner on that, run your lights and TV, and a few other things. But 7.2 is not... Um, uh, like I, 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 to run those big units in a home, you need at least a 175, uh, is what I understand. Bridge MCP says, Yeah, good interview. Like to hang the pick upside down thing. Yeah, I, I, I love that what he said there as well. Uh, Bridge MCP, you're always here discussing topics, sharing. Oh, I forgot PDR Posse. <laughs> I forgot to ask you guys. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, uh, look, folks, please, if you are on YouTube right now, please click that join button. Become a part of our YouTube posse. We need you more than you could ever imagine. You wouldn't know that given that I forgot to ask you guys to support the program. But if it weren't for great people like Bridge MCP, the leader of the PDR Posse, I would have forgot. So please, folks, if you're on YouTube, please click that join button and become a member. If you become a member right now, just like I did with two folks yesterday, I stick it on the screen right away. If you don't see that on your – if you don't see that – um. That thing on your list. In other words, if you don't see the join button, you can go ahead and go to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, and support us as well. That will take you to, to the YouTube channel so that you can also support us on YouTube. Alternatively, we also uh, are members of Patreon. Patreon is that thing where independent artists uh, get support from those people who follow them. Uh, please go to politicsandright.com slash patron, politicsandright.com slash patron, spell P-A-T-R-E-O-N, politicsandright.com slash patron. And by the way, we have a cup. We've got a mug designed by Bridge MCP, and you can get that mug by going to the link. I'm putting all the pictures of the folks who've gotten that mug on the screen right now that you can see. See folks drinking out of their mug. If you look at Big Lou, Roberto bought all of our mugs, man. Talking about my, my good buddy. He bought all the mugs. Michael, thank you for, for being here, brother. Uh, and you can also support us, of course, via PayPal. You can support us via PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. But here's the deal. I decided to put all my books in one place. You can, of course, still get them at my store, politicsandright.com slash store, where you can get the T-shirts and all that good stuff. But you can also get all the books in one place at Amazon. 
at politicsandright.com slash books, politicsandright.com slash books. Brother Norman Reynolds is here. Brother Norman Reynolds is here. He says, to my conservative neighbors, how do you square the attitude for pray for the cops? Wristbands popular on the right with the violence that the cops have waged against POCs. Reference Ronald Green. I, I, I have a piece to show you guys. That it was supposed to show you guys today as well. But again, I, I'm, you know, I wanted to answer your questions first, so we'll show it tomorrow. But what I saw last night when I first saw the video, Norman, made me cry. Uh, the guy, all the guys said, you know, I mean, it's not a reflex. You are in rural Louisiana and you have the trooper with the lights on and you're going to stop at a dark road? Hell no. So he ran. And he was hoping to stop maybe where there's light. Even if they're going to beat him up, at least they're going to beat him up where there's light. They, they not only beat the crap out of the guy, they didn't only shock the crap out of the guy. They just tried, treated him like an animal. They had the, the handcuffs on. You'll see it. I'll show you guys tomorrow. For the, but, of course, you guys can see it on the internet as well. But we'll talk about it tomorrow, I guess is what I should say. Um, okay. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Who else came in here? Paul Fleming says, Green was before Floyd. I saw it last night. Yeah. And actually, Green was worse than Floyd. It was worse than Floyd. And that is what's so hurtful. It was worse than Floyd. You know? Um, okay, let's continue. <laughs> oh, Ledo had to come here. You know, Ledo says, funny, you should ask. Yes, math is racist. Haven't you heard? I thought you were a good, ill, little Marxist. Well, it must take a lot of energy to do what you do, um, Mr. Rednan. It must take a lot of energy. All right, Paul Fleming says, uh, well, he was replying to Daniel Ledo. So Daniel Ledo, I must have missed some of what he had to say. But I'm coming down. I'm going down uh, the list. The demand will always force change because of the money it will generate. Yes. This is a natural world war. Yes. Carbon uh, from uh, the duck that quacks says carbon capture is worthless right now. Greta investigated it this Monday. Passed. They are fantasy land with carbon capture. Okay. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, <laughs> Michael says, Berta, we declare war on any problem we need to solve. We are currently already fighting a war on climate. But we're on the wrong side of it. Yes. Daniel Ledosa is there. If there's one thing the past year has taught me is that science is now subjective. Huh. Yeah, I know. that. No. Republicans think science is subjective. Progressives know it's not. But hey, what can I say? Uh, the duck that quacks at the plants, she checked, uh, captures 1% of their 40 tons per year. And they have nothing to do with it right now. So they dump it right back into the stacks. Sad. All right, 400 tons. Uh, yeah, okay, going back down. All right, I think we are currently at the end of the program. I want to thank all of you for being here with me. I couldn't do this without, I could not do this without you. Bye, Bridge. Maywood says, later, Bridge MCP. Nanette Bird says, thank you. Look, guys, I appreciate you. Uh, this is the end of the show. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! 
we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.